Hi guys, I'm Priscilla. And I'm Jess. We're two longtime friends, aka besties, and the hosts of Popcorn for Dinner's new film podcast, Is This Cinema? Every week, Jess and I, along with some friends from Popcorn for Dinner and Beyond Popcorn for Dinner, are going to be discussing all the latest film releases. Yeah, and we'll also be doing some blind debates, where we'll be foolishly given topics to debate live on air without any prep time. Okay. Intense movie and filmmaker drafts. Top fights of our best actors and honestly, whatever fun ideas we're pretty much dumb enough to try. So please subscribe on all podcast platforms and come and join us at the movies as we try to investigate just what is cinema. Bye, guys. Bye. Hello and welcome back to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast. The only podcast where we promise not to tell you to shh. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing the finale of Max's Love and Death. And joining me one final time, fresh from another 72 hour old in jail, guys. It's Comfort. Woo-hoo. Comfort, how are you doing? Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. How are you, Bugsley? I'm okay. Ready for our final final trip to Wiley, Texas. I am. With Lizzie Olsen. But first of all, after that, you guys know what else is happening on the feed. Yesterday, I released um, an episode, an interview with the stars of Paramount Plus's No Escape, Abigail Laurie and Rianne Barrett. So please check out that interview. It's spoiler free. So if you haven't watched the show, you can just listen to that. And, and find out if you want to watch the show. It was a really, really fun conversation. Uh, no Escape is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Um, what else? What else? Please rate and review. So people ask me how they can rate and review. Like if you look just on the mobile devices, mobile platforms, there's little five star. There's a star icon on Spotify. You can just click five stars there. On Apple Podcasts, it's right there. Rate, review. Please, 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 please really help. Really helps us. Um, it's finale week. It's finale week. After Love and Death this week, we're going to be covering Yellow Jacket, Succession, Barry, the season finale of Yellow Jackets, the series finale of Succession and Barry. We haven't received screeners for those episodes, obviously, as one could ex- expect. So those episodes will be out later. We hope to have the Yellow Jackets finale episode out on Monday and Barry and Succession out next Wednesday. So please tune in for those episodes. But for now, we are talking about the series finale of Love and Death, titled Shh, written by series creator David E. Kelly and directed by Leslie Linker-Glatter. Okay, comfort. Um... I'm going to give you the option. Do you want to talk about the episode or just go straight into the into the verdict? Let's talk about the episode, then. Okay, so what are, your, what are your thoughts on the episode? What are your thoughts on the courtroom drama of the episode? I, I think this is my favorite episode. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, sweating when they were giving their, you know, a really well-written lawyer speeches. I know, obviously, the writers wrote it, but in the, in the world of the show, I was like, perfect delivery, you know, if I was on the um jury, I just wouldn't know. Like, I, I would be so, um like, conflicted. Like, mm-hmm. where do you go? So I really wasn't, sh- I, I, I really thought she was going to be guilty. Like, I didn't want her to be gu- guilty, but like, as we discussed the last episode, I really thought that's where this was going to go. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to lie, I was really relieved when they said <laughs> not guilty. <laughs> I don't know. Like... Yeah, because it really was, I mean, at least the way they showed it, it really was self-defense, right? You know, um, Betty came at her first, so 
man, it was it was it was an emotional roller coaster for sure for me. I was just like, just give me the answer already. I can't take this much more. Yeah, I mean, firstly, on the point of like well-written lawyer speeches, it's probably important to mention that David E. Kelly, I mentioned earlier in this run that he's like a veteran of, of TV and like he's written a lot of the kind of OG legal dramas. So think of like Ali McBeal, Boston Legal, The Practice, those were all like his thing. So like he definitely knows how to write, mm. how to write a, a, a legal drama. Um, and yeah, I mean, we can talk about this a bit later, but... Yeah, the show definitely paints it as, as self-defense, but it's important to know that like uh, this show is quite obviously, I, I don't think they're hiding from it, that this is Candy's point of view. There's only two people entered that laundry room and only one person came out. So there's only one point of view we can't really, we can't really tell. Like, we don't know. Of course, Betty yeah. might have had a different story or whatever. So this is obviously Candy's story. This is not uh, the objective truth we're probably as objective as we can get just considering the fact that only one person has has a story um yeah obviously like i said i think i was after episode three or four i can't remember but i had like seen the verdict so i knew what the verdict was <laughs> uh like it's interesting obviously watching i think like you said both closing arguments from the prosecution and from the defense which is very very good and very emotive and it's interesting i was like oh, okay I can see why like the, the jury might veer this way based on like what I'm what I'm seeing and everything. Um I thought Don Don Crowder's was really good and really well acted by by Tom Pelfrey. Um you messaged me OMG after you watched the episode. So I'm assuming was that <laughs> was that in response to the verdict? Yeah, it was. Because I, I wasn't expecting it. And <laughs> I just remember being so tense, like holding my a table. And then I could finally breathe down once I read the verdict. So that was that, or well, that OMG related to. They were quick. The jury was surprisingly quick. I, um, but I guess, like I said, there's only one, there was only one point of view to, to tell. And I was just like, like uh, what does Pat say? That they can't find you innocent. They can only find you not guilty. So I guess really mm. like it's quite easy to paint that she was it was self-defense um something i found is out and i think i i think i think it is i think I, I think because nobody could prove and don crowder says this nobody could prove that she ever went with the intention of going to kill her right mm. so and again i've said this all season i just feel like it makes more sense that based on the events the facts i.e Based on the fact that um, obviously Alan and, and um, Candy were having an affair, like it makes more sense, and it's always made more sense to me that Betty would be the aggressor. She would be the one that would like be angry, right? Especially because the affair was long over, so it's not, it's not like Candy was trying to get Alan for herself. So it made more sense to me that like Betty would be the one that would attack first or instigate, and then Candy would be defending. So like, yeah, like. I don't know. It just never made sense. So I can understand how it would be easy for the jury to be like, well, it doesn't seem like Candy was going there to actually kill her. So something must have happened that helped her, that needed her to defend herself. So I don't know. I think that would, that would have been where I would have kind of veered to if I was the, if I was the jury. Fair. Um, something I found out when I read quickly after it, and I think the show, thinking back now, I can see the show was trying to show it. It was just like, apparently, the community was really against the verdict. Oh, really? Like, yeah. So you can even see, like, there was obviously all this protest protesters outside the courtroom. Um, I think so. I think one of the one of the signs said, 
ask for forgiveness, which I thought was funny. <laughs> but then it's like things going on, same thing, like adultery is a sin. And I, I think it's because like probably to her in the community, she had like a double double jeopardy, double whammy. Like not only did she, what, what does Don say? That it's Texas, they can't forgive murder, murder but they, they can't, can't forgive ad- adultery. Yeah, so it's like, crazy. So they probably feel like she's wrong on on two big accounts. So, so yeah, apparently like, I think it was Don's wife that was talking about how just they lost friends after the verdict and just people will, would not want to sit close to them and everything. So I guess, uh, which obviously makes sense that why Candy and Pat had to leave. But it's just like, yeah, the community did not, were not happy with a not guilty verdict, I guess, is, is, which was quite interesting to find out. Because mm, when they showed all those protests and, and, and um, banners and stuff, I thought that was just like leading up to the verdict, like before they established she was guilty. But that's, yeah, I mean, it makes sense now that you say it, that it wouldn't go down well in such like a small community. Mm. And it was weird to me that Candy, for some reason, thought things were going to go back to normal. Like to your point earlier, her husband had to say, no, they can only find you not guilty. But she's like, yeah, mm. it's all going to, you know, blow over once it's fine. I'm like, you're delusional, maybe. Like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of history of Elizabeth's self-delusion, isn't it? Mm-hmm. With her. And, it, uh, and it makes sense that she just thinks that if she can do, like she would have done what needs to be done, she proved her quote-unquote innocence, and then things can just get back to normal. And I don't know, it's a bit weird for someone who cares so much about what people think about her. Well, I guess, no, actually, no. I'm thinking out loud now. She probably thinks that once... She's proven innocent, and everyone can go back to thinking that she's innocent. Yeah, yeah and that yeah. would probably align why people, what people think about her. So, and then things will go back to normal, which I guess kind of tracks with her, with her psychology, with her mentality. Mm. One thing, though, like after the verdict, what did you think about her going to back to Alan's house? Mm. I thought that was, I thought that was weird, man. Like. Okay, Why so you I was going yeah. to talk about that. So wait, do you mean going to the house itself or talking to Alan? Talking to Alan. What? I mean, you said... Oh, both, you to... actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, I thought going to the house was was, was, was weird and probably traumatic, but I guess it made more sense because there was no way Alan was going to come to their house. But you wanted the Alan-Betty scene. I did. I did, so. but the way I did want that, and, and I'm glad it happened. But it was when I think of it, so I'm glad it happened in the kind of a story way, you know, kind of in the context of the story, you want some kind of closure between them. But in real life, like the idea that this person accidentally or not, like murdered your wife, and then she gets off kind of, you know, non guilty verdict. She's moving away, happy with her family. She still has her husband and kids, and they're moving away. Mm hmm. And then, like, I don't know. It was just, I don't really know what it was, what the intention was. Like, from Candy's character, like, what was she trying to do by going to Alan's house? And, like, even the sorry didn't feel, I'm sorry, I ruined your life. It it was just like, it it was more like the story of like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, you know, return back your DVD player. It wasn't like, I'm sorry for everything that's happened and and murdering. And I don't know, I don't know. That's how I I would have read it if I was Alan's character, you know. But then he seemed quite receptive to it as well. And just, well, not even receptive. I guess his his, um, 
maybe his emotions have been quite muted the whole time anyway. So whatever he's really thinking, we don't know. Uh, okay, a couple of things. I don't, I don't think her going back to talk to Alan makes sense from Alan's point of view. Like, I don't think Alan would want that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It kind of makes sense from Candy's point of view because you, I don't know, you want to tie the knot, tie the bow on the story. You want the, you want the closure. You like Han. We should not forget a hand. Alan would very close. I mean, they they got to their way time and time again in this show to say that like the affair was more about like an emotional friendship one than like a, a sexual relationship. So I don't know. I guess she felt like she needed to have that conversation to tell him to let him know that like I don't know that she was sorry. Um. So I don't know. It made to me it made sense from her point of view. I understood why she would do it. I didn't like. I I was surprised that she would go to the house. That would probably have so much trauma for her, but. I don't know. It made sense to me from Candy. Again, as someone who cares what people think about her, mm. it makes sense that she would not want to just leave town and let Alan think that, like, she killed his wife and just has no remorse and ran away. But that's that's the thing, right? I, I, I do get that. Yeah, and I, and I agree. But I think it was also the way that it was done. So it was like kind of like a stopover before they're leaving for town. It wasn't like, to me, it's like, you block out time, like it's going to be very emotional. And it makes sense to bring her husband just in case, like, he, I don't know, switches and attacks her. Like, for her own safety, Candace's husband needs to be there. And, and like, but it's, mm. a, it's, a, it's not like to me a stopover apology. I'm just going to pop by the house on my way to somewhere else. Like, this is like a dedicated, I'm really sorry. This has been very traumatic for the both of us. Like, we went through some things. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the, the I think it was a oh, mode, yeah. just felt like a casual pop in. Yeah, I definitely understand what you mean. I mean, on one hand, that could just be TV writing. Maybe in real life, it was a lot more encompassing. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a natural launch at the ball. But also, I don't know, in 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 favor of the stop stopover apology, as you put it, I think it's interesting that like, it all happens outside. Like There's this door in between them. Mm. He doesn't come out. She's not invited in. So it's kind of like, I don't know, not bare minimum, but just kind of a fractured apology in a way. I don't know how to put it, but like, it's not something that like, should, there's no, there's real, there's no real connection. Yeah. This is probably the one, the one scene they've ever, the only scene they've ever had where like, there was no connection between the both of them. Right. Mm. Um, both physically and I guess emotionally. So I don't know, I guess if that was always going to be the content or the theme of the apology, it makes sense for it to be a stop, stop of apology. Does that make sense? Like if if, yeah. Yeah, if yeah, they yeah. were never gonna be able to like actually be close to one another or actually sit down and talk and actually so it makes sense that okay, it's just like, yeah, we're just gonna do this on our way out of town because I know it's gonna take three minutes and I know I'm gonna be standing outside while you're standing inside and you never open the door. So it makes sense for it to be just a stopover apology. Mm. And actually now that you say it, to be honest. Yeah, I think I've changed my mind. <laughs> it does, it does kind of make sense because I think in those situ- well, not in murder situations, I don't know how often murder situations happen, but in, in general situations where you want kind of like closure with someone, it never actually plays out. Well, most times in my experience, it doesn't actually play out in a way that's like super fulfilling anyway. Mm. And it was kind of like, you leave like, what was the kind of like the point of that? And so it always kind of does sh- fall short of maybe what you would have expected or planned it to be. So yeah, I mean, okay, you've convinced me. Mm. I think that works. So I guess, yeah, it makes more sense to underplan it so it doesn't 
so you're not your expectations are too high, mm-hmm. or you're not mm-hmm. giving it too much too much weight that it doesn't deserve. I guess. Um, not to say that talking about the murder you've committed doesn't deserve a lot of weight. Yeah, exactly. It it's a. Um, it's yeah, a I was watching this scene, and I don't know why it took me so long to to put this together. Especially because a lot of people say it, like everyone on the show says it, but Alan, as as played by Jesse Plemons, is is a nothing person. And like, he's I a what person? Is, he, he's a nothing person. He's just a nothing person. What does what does that like, mean? He's just white bread. It's like a white bread and mayo sandwich. Nothing. Like he's just. That's bland. so harsh. No, he's a I, white I, bread and mayonnaise sandwich. Yeah, it's just like he's just bland. There's nothing because I was like, because I mean, you obviously say that his emotions have been muted, which is obviously fair because he's gone through incredible trauma. But his emotions have always been muted. If you think back to like the beginning of the show, <laughs> like think about his reaction to Candy saying like, "I want to have an affair with you." Like it's and and I, I just never. I think we always thought that there was going to be a turn or there's going to be something because obviously it's played by Jesse Plemons who I think had, did a good job or like a really good job or we expected something else. But then this character is probably just that because like I think Christian Ritter's character says it. She's like, why him? Like he's, mm. he's, yeah. he's nothing. Right. And I guess maybe Candy needed something like that so she could kind of like a blank slate so she could m- mirror, impose all her feelings on that thing. Like, if he was a person with character, like, if it was, for example, Don Crowder, then, like, Candy would have to deal with that character and deal with personalities of that person. But this was someone that she could probably just... He could be whatever she wanted him to be because he was nothing. So harsh. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. But I feel like there must have been. There must have been something to him. Like, for the affair, affair to continue for us, you know, the time it did, and for her, I mean, I think even in the court case so, and one of the um, lawyers mentioned and maybe it was Don Crowder that the time yeah it was Don Crowder that you know they'd meet up and not even have sex so they just like talk and so their friendship must have been based on something right so oh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, on the sur- I agree with you like on the surface he comes across very plain villa not much to him but I'm, I'm I'm guessing it's one of those things that when you get to know the person um you know they have a million yeah, things yeah to I share. mean yeah I'm sure he could like he can be a good person and be able to talk to without having like a personality of note. Like he's he's a very intelligent person. Um, by what I've heard regarding like uh, the occupation that him and I think Pat were, were were into in Texas at that time, they were quite affluent because like that was like the tech boom apparently of, of mm. Texas in the eighties. So like he was quite smart, quite rich at least for his environment so like i'm sure there was something to him but like i don't know how to put it like he wasn't he wasn't don crowder he wasn't someone that stepped into the room and people turned yeah. their faces i mean think about how many times we saw him like just in the midst of everyone else outside the courtroom and he would just like blend into the, into the background so <laughs> i um i don't th- yeah i don't know if there was like much about I mean I'm not trying to talk about the real car- the real person just as a disclaimer I'm, I'm focusing on, on the character as played by by Jesse Plemons so I don't know if there was like much about him and I guess that makes sense for because you because you're like why does Candy want to sleep with this person like mm. what's the attraction here what are what are we not seeing so I don't think there was ever really 
it wasn't like a primal attraction. I was like, oh, I really want to share with this person. <laughs> I think it was just, yeah, she found someone that she probably already had a relationship with, like as friends, because they always were the church friends. And then she could just impose her feelings, her expectations, her desires, her wants on this person because he was, was like a sponge. She could take it and then she could then believe that that was what she wanted. I don't know. Um, that was just what popped to my brain. And then, mostly because of some, some other things that we'll touch on in a second. But yeah, I just, and I, I think like Jesse Plemons plays that blandness very well because, because yeah, like I said, it's easy for us to think of post Betty's death and like, oh wow, he's shell-shocked. This is mm. where he's moving. Like a good, yeah. I'm like, wait, actually, he's always been like this. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the roller coaster is the one time we saw him with actual like emotion. <laughs> Do you mean that? No, generally, generally, like, like he's always been that kind of like subtle, meek person. So, so that yeah, would like, frustrate me. Imagine how frustrate. And you know what's really interesting? The pairing of husband and wife. Because Betty, being somebody that was, like, so emotional and reactive, right? And, like, even with the people around when they gave their testimonies and, you know, a lot of people didn't have super nice things to say. But, like, it, it, she was very um, fiery, I guess, is, mm -hmm. is the way that she, she comes across. And so imagine mm -hmm. be, being that person and being married to somebody who's just muted. You want something. Give me something. <laughs> Give me some emotion. And they're just muted. But she she says so, doesn't she? She mentions it. She says that like mm -hmm. he goes quiet sometimes. I think it was episode two or something. And then he says, "Well, I go quiet because I don't know what to say to you." So like, I think <laughs> it's funny because I think everyone was pointing us to how the kind of character he was, but we mm -hmm. just weren't like weren't, weren't taking it in. So yeah, I think yeah, and I, I yeah, and I think I don't know. Maybe Candy it could work for Candy because Pat is not as bland as. As Alan, but he's quite similar. So yeah, 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 yeah. He, he's quite similar, but I would say he seems, at least towards the, the latter episode, he seems to have a bit more like he's a bit better at expressing himself than mm -hmm. than Pat. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think maybe part of it is the trial and everything that happened. Um, kind of brought that up because he could, he probably was worse, which is what led Candy to have the affair in the first place. And then with the child yeah. and everything, he's at a situation where it's very, you know, emotions are heightened and there's a lot of tension. Um, so we probably yeah. saw a bit more of his emotions then, but yeah, it, I, I, I see what you're saying. I'm not sure what the appeal, appeal of, uh, Alan was from the character that we saw. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I just, I don't, I don't think there was any like thing you put on paper. I mean, what does she say when she finally has dinner with, with Alan and, and, and Betty when she's just like, yeah, it was just so, so boring and like there was no desire mm. for me to go back to that. So yeah, I don't think there was any like actually ever sexual appeal or whatever. I think it was just more of the probably a bit of safety to be fair from him as well. Like maybe it was the fact that there was no appeal. Like she, she never felt like she was going to fall in love with him or anything. Yeah. So There's a, a bit of safety there so she could have this kind of emotional and sometimes sexual sexual affair. Most um, low risk um, partner to have a, an affair with, yeah. Hundred percent, yeah. And it would have to have gone so well if not for that axe. Um, okay, so as as shows and movies like this usually do, it ends with a bit of some postscript notes of just things that kind of happened to the to the characters after. So we can just go through some of those, and you can let me know if there's anyone that like jumped out to you as surprising or. 
<laughs> or that maybe you have thoughts on. So Pat and Candy divorced shortly after going going back to Georgia. That made sense. <laughs> 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 that made sense to me. Um, that's a lot for you know a marriage to go through. It's one of those things that it either like breaks you or mm. it makes you ten times stronger. Um, and I think when you go through something so traumatic, it's easy to get for Pat to be resentful. And it's more like imagine like. You stick by your partner through them being accused of murder. Go through the whole trial. Um, they yeah. cheat. Bear in mind, they've cheated on you as well. Any small thing they do, they didn't throw out the rubbish that day. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> You're going to be like, after all I've done for you. Like, they did it. They or forgot even, your birthday. Or, yeah, or even worse still, you don't take out the rubbish and they shout at you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, I don't know. It was just... It, it, the. Um, the relationship just went through so much, so I wasn't surprised um, when it said they got divorced. Mm-hmm. Alan remarried shortly after Betty's death to so, someone from the church. Given the time, yeah. given the time period and the fact that he's a guy, it didn't surprise me. I don't think a woman would have got away with being able to remarry that soon and it being like well i don't know i guess we don't say whether alan's remarriage was accepted by the you know their community but i imagine it would it's the reception to it would have been kinder than if you know Mm -hmm. he were a woman Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like him already being quite close to that woman during the trial was kind of like okay like it was a bit sus wasn't it it was just like what's going on here like (laughs) I was like, okay, you didn't, you didn't know what the French kiss was 18 months ago. Now you just have to <laughs> kiss a woman during your, your, your dead wife's trial. Okay, calm down. Which was, I did, I was kind of the thing that led to me just being like, oh, I was like, oh, this guy's just meh, isn't he? It's just like, it's really nothing. He's just like, yeah, he's like, people have found out now that he cheated. And maybe that that's obviously quite attractive to some people, I guess. Like, he looks a bit more dangerous and yeah, the wild side some, a bit more yeah sexy. he has some exactly he has something to him now so they're like oh, okay so people are interested and yeah and again, again i guess like you said it, it, he's a man that again he's a rich i should mention that like he was probably quite rich based on his occupation he's a w- rich man at that time who's going through emotional strife and his wife has just died so people are like oh yeah so some particular women will probably be like oh yes let me let me get in there now. So anyway, yeah, so he remarried shortly after to the, I think she was the organist from church. And then they divorced. They divorced and after. He, and then he marries a third time. Oh, and wow. then he moves out of town. I think he said he lives in Maine now. Also, his in-laws, Betty's parents, adopted um, Alan and Betty's kids. What did you think? I mean, I got it because I guess from the parents' perspective, Maybe they thought Alan had gone through... I don't really know what would have gone down, but I know from the grandparent. Not that I know. <laughs> I guess from the grandparents' perspective, um, you know, that's their daughter's children. So they want to raise I, and make sure that the children have a good home. So to me, this was the biggest indictment of, of, uh, of Alan's character. Mm. Like, because... And I, again, look, Alan really came out of this episode terrible, terribly for me. No, because like, again, it's not, it's not like, oh, the kids moved in with the, their grandparents, like their grandparents adopt, like legally adopted these kids. And I am, again, this is not about the real life people, but based on the show we watched, the character we watched, like I'm pretty sure like Alan would have been 
like all for it and up for like we never really saw him fathering. Like you think about it, yeah. From when, Bet- from when Betty dies, we don't see the kids anymore. Like the kids are not in the house, so we're assuming that they are with the grandparents throughout. And yeah, some of this could be oh because he wants them to not see the news or whatever. But also like he never, the kids are never mentioned. He never asks how they are. You get what I mean? So I was like, oh, you're actually, and then he remarries. So he has a wife, but like his kids are not there. Like his kids are being raised by like his in-laws. You guys like, oh, yeah, actually, yeah. You just, yeah, you're really just scum, aren't you? <laughs> just like, oh. The way I imagine it played out is that, again, from the characters in the show, he's just very passive, right? He doesn't really mm-hmm. fight for anything, right? He's very passive. And so if the grandparents were like, we're taking the kids, he would have been like, mm, okay. Like, he wouldn't have but- like... But to me, that's an indictment. You can't be passive about your kids. Yeah, yeah. You can't be passive yeah. about everything else in life. But like, somebody's taking your... Again, it's not as like they say, oh, they're going to live with us for three years. They're legally adopting your kids. Mm. Like, they're not your kids anymore, by law. So it's like, like if you're going to be passive about that, then you're a terrible person, in my opinion. And it's true. And it's a great point. It does show quality of character, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was like, I was like, oh, okay. You're, you're not... <laughs> you're just not good. Um, and then, okay. Dan Crowder um, committed suicide in 98. I know. I was like, oh my gosh, that's very sad. It started, I think it said that he became something, like he ran for He ran like, for governor. Governor. So I was like, oh, night. good for him. And then it, it said he committed suicide. I was like, oh, dang. Like, that's so, not good for him. Yeah, apparently, so apparently he lost the governorship race, but he like, he had a very good showing. Like he got a lot of like votes, which is mm. quite impressive. And then apparently, I was reading something, he owned a bar in, I think, early 90s, maybe. But that did, that fell through, that he had to file for bankruptcy. And then his brother, so that apparently led to like his own mental health issues. And then his brother passed away in 97. So like that just compounded it. And then by, by 98, he, yeah, by 98, he just it was too much for him. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that was quite sad. I think he would have been, I think he said he was 56, maybe, when he, when he passed away. Um, Candy worked as a therapist and at a point practiced alongside her daughter, Jenny, specializing in what, I think the adult and teenage depression. What did I, what did I think about that? I'm yes. trying, mm, I don't know. I, I saw that and I said, huh? <laughs> I wasn't, <sighs> I don't know how to say this. I I just I was I was very skeptical of of <laughs> of the whole thing. Like people change. Not to say you know people change, but hopefully she went through months of therapy, mm-hmm. like a serious you know serious therapy before she became a therapist. That's all I can hope for. Yeah. Well, I guess the hope is that at this point she knows, like she knew ab- about her her trauma or the things that were kind of hidden so yeah but there's new them. trauma that's been <laughs> the whole trial itself oh. is trauma. so it's like the that she had a previous trauma but now it's compounded trauma so it's like there's that to get over too yeah hopefully i mean like yeah i don't know you and the whole like near-death a, experience is trauma as well yeah you want to be like someone who's a therapist would know the benefit of therapy and would hopefully have like done some work but yeah you're right done some work on it on herself but also, maybe she's the perfect person to because she's been there. 
who's been there, done that. She has I mean, not many experience. people would have her story, right? And she yeah, would have been probably yeah. through some of the worst experiences in life. Then, yeah. It didn't take much for her to empathize with her, with her, her patients. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Final, any final thoughts about the show in general? It was a good, it was a good one. I, I liked the, um, I stand corrected. I don't remember saying this, but you quoted me as saying that I didn't want it to be a courtroom drama. <laughs> I really don't remember saying that, but I'll take the word for it. So well, if I did say that, I stand corrected and I really did enjoy the, the later episodes being, being courtroom drama. It really was on the edge of my seat. Really well written, really well acted. Obviously, you know, as we've discussed the show and, and joked around and stuff, we, you know, that we're talking more about the characters, but, and, and the way the show was depicted, but obviously this is based on a true story. And so I imagine it was like a very traumatic, um, mm-hmm. yeah, a very traumatic experience for like all parties involved. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It, it's definitely like going to stay in my mind, like even like randomly through the week, I'll think about like the episode or the story. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting to learn about something that happened on the other side of the world in some small town and it to like really resonate with you. That's the like power of TV, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good watch. Um, great performances. Um, as I've mentioned, courtroom drama does my bag. So I did quite enjoy the, the courtroom scenes a lot. I love, I love, I love this series of, to be fair, I think thinking about it now, I used to watch a lot of courtroom dramas growing up. I kind of, that's why I kind of fell in love with them. And think about it now, they were all David E. Kelly courtroom dramas, like Ali McBeal, The Practice, Boston Legal. So. Oh, nice. Okay. So maybe I have a deeper connection with David E. Kelly than, than I. Maybe you do. Maybe you should reach out to him. Evan, maybe. Um, married to Michelle Pfeiffer, which was surprising to me when I, when I found out today. Oh, and do you know who else I was surprised? Speaking of marriages, Tom. Well, I don't know if they're married. They're they're together. Tom Pelfrey and Kaylee Calco. Oh yeah, I was shocked. Cor- I was Cor- like, Cor- when did this happen? I think it's yeah, I don't know. It's recent. They have a child together. Wow, that was a nice surprise. Um. Okay, comfort. Thank you very much for joining me on this podcast run. Thank you very much for talking about love and death with me. Thank you for having um, me. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you... I did. I've lost all the anxieties about appearing on the podcast and we will see you Ah, again. yes, 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 I have. No, it was a really great experience. Um, Fun talking about shows, characters. So thank you for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. And thank you everyone for listening to the Popcorn for Dinner podcast and our coverage of Love and Death. As always, like I mentioned, please rate and review. We are covering... We're approaching the finales of some of the best shows of all time. Actually, uh, we're talking about Succession, Barry, the final episode. We're talking about Yellow Jackets, the final episode of season two. Ted Lasso, maybe the final episode ever. Um, yeah, so please, please check that out. And check out Is This Cinema? That's also on another feed where Priscilla and Jess are talking about movies. We did a Fast and Furious rankings the other day, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, but yeah, for now... Thank you for listening and join us next week when I'll be joined by Daniel Kaluuya. Bye, guys. You can say bye, like with words. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>